just a simple line that I kind of think live my life by, which is that, you know, people used to vote with their wallets and now they vote with their time. Welcome to Unleashing Your Great Work, a podcast about doing the work that matters the most to you. I'm your host, Dr. Amanda Kroll, a cognitive psychologist, coach, author of the book, Great Work, and the creator of the Great Work Journals. Every week on this podcast, we're here asking the big questions. What is your great work? How do you find it? And why does it matter whether we do it? What does it actually take to do more of your great work without sacrificing everything else? And how does the world change when more people are doing more of the work that matters the most to them? Stay tuned for answers to these questions and so much more. Have you ever met anyone who seems effortlessly innovative or full of great ideas? If you have, you may have met a border dweller. A border dweller is a term from sociology that refers to people who live close to a border between countries, and those people experience a culture that reflects both countries. In psychology, we borrow that term to refer to people who see connections between seemingly unconnected fields. Rontite is a classic border dweller. Whether he's bringing entrepreneurial ideas into comedy or finding the common thread between content and advertising, Ron has his eyes on innovation. And you can see his border dwelling ways all over his bio. For example, Ron is founder and chief creative officer at Church and State, host and executive producer of the hit podcast, The Coup, and executive producer of the documentary film, Freshwater. He's written for television. He's wrote and performed a hit play, He's created a branded art gallery, published an award-winning comedy book, and for five years was the executive producer and host of the award-winning comedy show, Monkey Toast. Ron's most recent book, Think, Do, Say, How to Seize Attention and Build Trust in a Busy, Busy World, hit stores on October 29th. All of this has made him an in-demand speaker all over the world, speaking to leading organizations about creativity, disruption, branding, and leadership. Let's welcome Ron to the podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Ron. Well, thank you, Amanda. Thanks for having me. So nice to be here. And hi, everybody out there in listening land. <laughs> listening land. Yes. Hello, everybody. Well, I'm excited that you're here. And I'm part of the reason now people send me really long bios often, and I usually, you know, kind of cut them down some, but I didn't uh, yeah. cut yours as much because there was such a vast expanse of great work in there. And I'm really curious about the what you would consider the common thread. So let's start where we always do. Tell us a little bit about your great work. Well, my great work is not always great work. I think that's one of the one of the big things is that sometimes it's not so great work. Mm. Um, I think it, it the uh, the goal is always great. The goal is always to get to great. But mm -hmm. to get to great, I think you need to be bad in some some cases. Mm. You need to be you know really not so great, so that you can really reveal where greatness lies but i think you know that all that's the the thing that kind of connects everything for me is really just you know there was a, a simple line that i kind of think live my life by which is that you know people used to vote with their wallets and now they vote with their time mm. and we should just focus on being good enough relevant enough interesting enough funny enough timely enough to win that time and if you're winning the time, it's because somebody has said, you know what, I find this play, show, 
ad, book, speech, post is worth me taking my eyes off the four million other things yeah. that I could be looking at, watching, reading, listening to, and dedicate the two minutes, five minutes, two hours, whatever, to this mm -hmm. thing. Hmm. And it is out of that great respect for time, I think, that really, I think, drives everything I do. Hmm. Um, I think there's a lot of people who they think that their great work they forget to check in that sometimes the what I might think is great work, you, know, you might think is not relevant at all to you. Right. But I've got the bias of like, no, but this is, this is I live and breathe this every single day. So if you just give me two minutes so I can mm -hmm. sales pitch you, you know, I can pitch slap you. Um, <laughs> I know you're going to find that what I deliver to you is of utmost value. And you're like, no, it's not. Mm -hmm. And so when I look at the stuff that I'm, I get really cranky about, Mm -hmm. when people make that assumption and they, yeah. they're just wasting my time. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious about that people used to vote with their wallet, but most of the, you know, one of the interesting things I was recently reading your book, Think Do Say, and one of the interesting, you know, coming from an advertising perspective, you're still hoping that they'll vote with their wallet. So I'm curious about how you see things have changed because it sounds like it went from a fairly straightforward transaction into one that's now kind of a chaotic around the bend kind of way. So how do you see that having changed in the last, I mean, your whole podcast is sort of about this, but tell yeah. us a little bit about how you see it have changed. It's a, and, it's, and that's a great question. So thank you for calling me on the bullshit, which I think is, we have to do as well, right? Like call people <laughs> and go like, this doesn't make sense because you're not here. This isn't recreational business. Mm -hmm. Like we're not here for rec business. We're not, none of us. Or if you are, that's a completely different perspective. Mm -hmm, on mm -hmm. stuff but this is, yeah this is to help our clients succeed this is to help me succeed in, in my business and so the difference is that yes it used to be a very direct and simple transaction and all of the promotion was based in that direct and simple transaction so mm -hmm. that's why you get into the four p's of marketing you know mm -hmm. and so that if you wanted to ramp up that simple transaction well you promoted something and you're maybe yeah. you cut the price on it you know so it was really really simple and now with there are a, a number of things that happened in the dynamic and so one is that the cost of production came down mm -hmm. drastically mm -hmm. so now anybody can create anything the second thing that came in was this global and instantaneous distribution so mm -hmm. now i can make something really cheaply i can distribute it to the globe to everybody yeah. in the world and now have it within yeah. two seconds of me finishing it and so all that did is it it really spoke to us as human beings because now we can create and consume the stuff that really interests us. I mean, really, really interests us. Yeah. So for Super as an niche. example for this, yeah. So I'm I'm a baseball fan, and it's mm -hmm. not such a niche mm -hmm. mm -hmm. interest, but you know that I can on this phone, mm -hmm. I can look at in the middle of the summer. I can look at every single pitch thrown in every single game, and I can see the degree of drop from the time it left the pitcher's hand to the time it hit home plate. I can mm -hmm. see that angle change, and I can see it within an, a minute and a half of it happening in every single game. Wow. I can geek out on that. And uh, there are other people over here going, no, but you can watch the lowest common denominator on broadcast TV. I'm like, I'm yeah. not going to touch that because I love this thing. Right, I'm, I'm going to watch these pitches instead, right? Yeah. So that just pulled eyeballs away mm -hmm. from 
brands and traditional media and everything else. And so as brands began to chase that, like, mm. okay, we're going to chase these eyeballs because we, we need to sell products. So what do you need to sell products now? And it's very different because it's such an indirect transaction. So now I have all that stuff at my disposal, meaning if I'm a deal hound, then I've got 500 blogs that compare the best prices and product features of software, whatever mm -hmm. product these people have. So that's where, why my agency is called, you know, church and state, that it's this blurring of the lines between editorial and content and advertising. Mm -hmm. So we know that we need to add value along the way in mm -hmm. hopes that when they do, you know, when it does come time for them to make a transaction mm -hmm. that we are, we have added value all along the way in a really transparent way. And we are the default choice for them. Okay. So it is, you know, they used to vote their wallets. Now they vote with their time. They vote with their time. And once you've won the time, mm -hmm. now you're in a better place to win the wallet. Yeah. They, you become less of the choice among many. You become a choice among few. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you're really talking about, or the way that sort of the people I usually hang around with psychologists and stuff called the democratization of information, right? Like mm -hmm. information is now completely free. And yeah. so anything that you wanted to know, you could find out on your own. And so what we're, what we're really paying for is for someone to guide us through information that we might be overwhelmed with, right? Cause that's the problem of democratization of information is you're utterly overwhelmed and it's difficult to know what to trust and what, is just being sort of thrown at you because it's easy content that's sort of clickbaity. So what yep. do you find actually helps a brand or a person or anybody trying to stand out in this ridiculous, noisy marketplace really helps people to build trust? That was the entire move behind the book. And I'm not, I'm not just saying I don't yeah. love an interview. People are like, well, as I said in the book. No, I mean, we'll read the book. Yeah, but, uh, <laughs> but, but, the, that was, but that was the inspiration to write the book, yeah. which was I saw that marketing in the past was all about say, 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 mm. um, which is not just a Paul McCartney, Michael Jackson song. But it was all <laughs> about the t talking about the stuff. And now mm. I know as an agency that there is no ad or campaign that I could ever, ever, ever create that would be more powerful than somebody on a front line actually delivering the service that was promised. Mm -hmm. And so it's the actions of the brand that really, really establish trust. Because mm -hmm. if I do a great campaign, but the action is not delivered, then trust goes down the drain. Mm -hmm. So it really is about that middle section, which is the like, what do you do? What do you do? Mm -hmm. the, the, the trouble is that that is a more patient approach that right. requires a more patient approach. And which lies in conflict with the approach that many people want to take, both enterprise level organizations who have boards of directors saying we need to hit, we need to increase the share of price. And so we need to deliver a Q2 number that is X mm -hmm. or a, a single owner operator who's like, I just want to you know, buy a bigger house. Um, and what mm -hmm. can I do to uh, get around? The, how can I game the system so I can just get that level of success mm -hmm. faster? And yeah. the result is you don't, you just <laughs> right. don't. I mean, That'll the end. people who, yeah, the, the people who try and game the system, you're like, oh, so you're chasing metrics, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. not an actual foundation of success. And there's, you know, in the speaking world, there are speakers who 
and I encounter this a lot, you know, uh, where I probably do about 70 speeches a year mm -hmm. and, uh, and I'm with a bureau and I've had people reach out and go, how come I'm not getting 70 a year? They're not, get, they're not getting me the number of gigs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'll say, well, how many gigs are you driving? Mm -hmm. And they'll say, that's not my job. That's their job. Mm -hmm. I'll say, no, 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 no. If you're doing 10 speeches a year and you're not getting any spin, i.e. people are saying, seeing you and going, mm -hmm. I saw you, I want yeah. you for this group or I pass your name on, then you have a product problem. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You don't have a promotion problem. You have a product right. problem. Mm -hmm. And focus on the content, focus on the product make something that is worthy of passing along. And that's, so I think that's the, and when you can do that, that's when you build trust. Mm, and that's way that's, more powerful. Yeah. Well, it's so interesting because if you think about like what you're asking people to do, it's really authenticity and consistency, right? It's like, do what you really mean because it's the only way you will ever be consistently representing that perspective in a way that feels really authentic across the many whatever channels and ads and speeches and just conversations that you're having with people. If you're not being, if you don't know who you are, you're not truly kind of putting what you have into what you're doing, then you're not going to be perceived as the same, like you're not going to be aligned. That's the word, right? Like, that's what I really liked about your book was it was like, if you're not thinking and doing and saying basically the same thing, then even if you are a trustworthy person, you won't be yeah. perceived that way. Bingo. That's exactly it. And that's where the gaming the system thing was really, is really frustrating because where, you know, I grew up quote unquote, mm. professionally as a creative director of a large traditional advertising agency, global agency. And we just cranked on TV spots, right? We just, we just continually did that and, and print campaigns and out of home. And during those days when the mm. new young upstart digital folks, they kept saying, <laughs> wait, you just wait until digital <laughs> advertising comes in and people are going to get the ad that they want when they want it, where they want it for the thing they want you know, and all this other stuff is going to be irrelevant. And I was like, yeah, that dude, that would be amazing. And then now that we're completely in a hundred percent immersed in digital, where is that? Mm -hmm. That's not here. Because mm -hmm. what ended up happening is people re like, this was never supposed to be about scale. Yeah. It's supposed to be about customization. It was never supposed to be about scale. And what do people do? They're like, I'm just going to, I'm going to carpet bomb 4 million people with one promotional message. Yeah. And I don't care because I only need 0.006% mm. to, to convert to yeah. be successful. And so there, there is no broader sense of purpose. They're just chasing numbers. That's all they're doing. Wow. Yeah. And you can feel it as just like a regular person living a regular life. You're like, you aren't even trying to talk to me actually. And no way would I give you my money or even actually remember that I've seen your ad before, right? It's like very yeah. capable of just like dismissal, dis dismiss, 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 dismiss. That's I, I had a great example of this, Amanda, where a friend of mine said, oh, I've been doing this, this new line of business. I said, oh, where, like, how did you build that? And he goes, you're not going to like it. And I go, what did you do? And he goes, I use one of those LinkedIn lead generation companies. Mm. And I said, oh, what are you doing? He's like, I know, but it's been really successful. I've got like five new clients. And I said to him, how, yeah, you've got five new clients. How many others, innocent bystanders, mm -hmm. did you piss off who right. now have a completely different perception of you? And he goes, mm -hmm. I don't think, you know. And like five days later, I end up getting one of the LinkedIn messages from, oh, I yeah. got it. And I forwarded it to him. And I said, see, 
Mm -hmm. I'm already a client. I'm already right. a client. And you're, you're pitching me because you're not pitching me. You're getting somebody else to do it for you. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting. It's like, we bought this whole, you know, the emperor has no clothes and it's like, so here we are all like buying the story that if we don't send hundreds of messages across all of these people, like we have no chance of success. And yet right. really it's the one-on-one -on -one connection I mean, not to be like an old like insurance salesman from 1972 or whatever, but like, who do you know who might recognize yeah. my name from the conversations that we've had? And it's like actually not that hard to build a very successful business from that perspective, because you don't compete with the noise. It's like my friend said, so it's yeah. just so much better. So yeah. I, you know, one of the things I love about you, there are many, but one of the things that I love about you is that you are also a creative person yourself. Like you have written a play. I, like I said it all in the bio and I'm trying yeah. to make it like you were a stand-up comedian, which I feel like mm -hmm. I've learned 50% in your like talks about being a stand-up comedian and 50% of <laughs> just sort yeah, of yeah, fascinated. Totally. So <laughs> how do you feel like your own self as a creative person has sort of buoyed you or informed your great work? Or like, how does that little piece of you that shines so brightly, how do you find it coming into the rest of your work? I think that's been a huge, huge piece. And, but I'll be honest, like I didn't, there are some people who are genuinely creative and authentically creative and mm. they're total, like it's all they could do, right? It's mm -hmm. like they can barely hold down a job because they can't <laughs> ever apply it. It's just constant kind of iteration. Mm -hmm. And so growing up, like I never thought I was a creative person. I was a jock. I got a phys ed degree. Like I never, ever would really? have put that. Yeah. Huh. Like I never would have put that stamp on my forehead. Mm. And um, I was never a writer. Like I wrote a story as a kid and stuff, but I never mm. really explored that until much, much later. Mm. Never thought I would be a stand-up comedian, never saw myself as a stand-up, was never the class clown. Mm. Um, and so there is, but there is an element that I think that in some cases is naturally creative. So like, I don't know if you know this story, but when I started doing stand-up, I went to a good friend who's a very accomplished stand-up and I said, okay, I want to, I want to do stand-up. I want to try stand-up. What do I do? And he's like, oh, you go to an open mic night and you put your name in and then they give you five minutes. And then if you're good, you keep coming back every week and you just keep getting five minutes, five minutes, five minutes. Mm -hmm. And then when you're really good, they give you seven minutes on a Tuesday, <laughs> right? And they, and they give you $50. Mm -hmm. So I said, okay, I'll go check it out. I'm not committing to anything. I just want to get the lay of the land. So mm -hmm. I went down there and it was horrible. It was a free you show. You were horrible. No, I didn't do it. I was like, I'm not, I oh. didn't want to commit to anything. I said, I'm just going to check it out. Okay. To see. So I went down on a Monday night to a comedy club and thing. And I saw like, that guy's drunk. Like that guy <laughs> lost a bet. This guy is horrible. <laughs> like this is all bad. I'm not doing this. This is a, this is demeaning in every possible way. Not mm -hmm. doing it. And then he, I said, what else can I do? And he goes, uh, I guess you can you can get to know a producer who's producing a live show and get convince them to give you five minutes, even mm -hmm. though you've never done it before. <laughs> and I said, well, why don't I just make myself the producer oh. and put myself on the bill? Mm -hmm. So the very first time I ever, ever did stand-up comedy live in a comedy club, I headlined with a 45-minute set. What? And 
and brought in Frank. He hosted it and I brought in some other people for the first act and I was the entire second act. And that is just such a great illustration of a creative approach to an aesthetic. Cause that's all, you know, there's a million different definitions of creativity, but it's one of them, mm -hmm. which is just like, how is, what's an original way to see something or view yeah. something. And within this very creative industry of stand-up comedy, it was like, there's only one way to do it. Like, yeah. no, that's bullshit. That's, there's not, there's gotta be other ways to do it. Mm -hmm. And so I took that, it's that kind of an entrepreneurial approach to an existing right. way to do things and went, what's another way at it? Oh, I become a producer. I make myself the headliner. I'm going to do the 45 minutes. Wow. So that, uh, that kind of creative, original, unique perspective on stuff, I think is, um, is really, really neat. And that's helped come inform some of my business decisions and the way I go about things. But I also think what is the difference between pure art of mm -hmm. standup and the, you know, great work, which really needs money attached to it. If it's mm -hmm. a business is that great standup and great art is pure expression. Mm -hmm. It is pure expression. And it's like, I'm just going to put a bunch of stuff out there. And if there are enough people who are willing to pay me for it, then amazing. But mm. it's not about that. It is about the pure expression mm. and no holds barred. And that's where great art comes from. Mm. And, and so I think that is the other, is the flip side of where that's really helped. It's like from a LinkedIn post, it's like, I'm going to, I'm going to express myself yeah. in a really interesting, relevant way that's around this subject, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And I think that's helped make some of that stuff maybe a little more real and maybe it's made a little more vulnerable and a little more trustworthy. And when you compile all those things together, you end up with something that's just simply more unique. Yeah. You know, what else makes it unique is that like your church and state is the blurring the lines between which two things? Advertising and editorial. Right. Content and advertising. Content and advertising. And I feel like what you described in terms of that moment with uh, stand-up was the blurring of the lines between art and commerce. And mm -hmm. so it's possible that a lot of your genius, I don't know yet whether I know this is true, but you probably will. You know, a lot of your genius comes on the as being sort of a border dweller between things and people seeing things as really separate, but you seeing them as like, you know, cousins and drawing from one to the other, which actually from the psychological perspective is most of what we talk about innovation, where does innovation come from? Borrowing from mm -hmm. other domains and placing it in this domain. And it's a totally new idea. So yeah. that seems like uh, the, the sort 100%. of- hundred percent. It's interesting because, yeah. And in the speaking world, I started out, you know, the, the evolution of it was I started mm -hmm. as a, a club comic. And then because I knew business, I started going into businesses and doing corporate comedy. Ah. And then wanting to- I didn't to even know more... that was a thing. <laughs> yeah yeah you can go I would go in and I'd like it's a very niche thing but I would go in and look at a conference I'd attend the day or an off-site I'd attend the full day and then write a customized set based on what oh, I wow. heard yeah. and deliver it at nighttime and it's because it's the blurring it's the comedy meets yeah. business yes of course and then when I started speaking it was like I think they didn't know what to do with me because they're like, why am I listening to a comedian? Like, what, mm -hmm. is, what is he going to teach me about business? Mm -hmm. And so I very quickly realized that the blurring of the lines, you need to sell it in really specific mm -hmm. ways because there was not much of a market mm -hmm. for a comedian who knew about business. Right. But there was a massive market for a funny right. business guy. Yeah, funny business guy, right. 
And so I changed that pivot. And so I changed it completely and said, don't call me a comedian. Anymore. I'm not a comedian anymore. I'm a business guy. Yeah. He just happens to be funny. Yeah. And my rate tripled. Oh, and wow. The num- number of gigs tripled. Mm-hmm. Right. Wow. That's fascinating. And it's interesting because you probably were like putting the kibosh on talking about you a comedian at all because the the need to be completely consistent. Like they need yes, to see exactly. here, 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 and here as a funny business guy. Yeah, and then exactly. And then, yeah. Oh, so interesting. Great. So, yeah. what is your? So your, I feel like the creativity that you described about making yourself a producer and then producing your own show and all these sort of border dwelling things. It seems like you're in the business of doing things. I mean, maybe this is every ad guy. I don't know, but like doing things in interesting new ways. Like that is what you're about. So I'm curious. Like, what is it about? Like turning the paradigm upside down or doing it in a new way or doing it with new people or like, what is it about that that feels uh, important to you? Like, why are you not just doing it the way it's always been done? Like, what is it about that that speaks to you personally? Um, well, first, I would say that that is the approach, and, but it can also be a very dangerous approach. Mm-hmm. Because in the beginning of the agency, when I started the agency, that was the approach, which is like, I'm going to reinvent every single aspect of this mm-hmm. because I think it needs to be reinvented. And the reality is if all you do is reinvent, you never actually land on anything. Mm-hmm. And so I very quickly kind of took this approach of like, you know, I grew up in Canada's Flint, Michigan called Oshawa, Ontario. And I understand like this, this difference between assembly line and concept cars mm-hmm. and you don't actually make any money in reinvention right you don't reinvent because you don't you need because you need to scale it right you need to make it really efficient and so it's very it's a very inefficient way to solve a problem because mm-hmm. there are no systems there's no there's no right. templates there's, there's no, no none expert of that to hire in right exactly exactly mm-hmm. and so it's a really expensive way to do business mm-hmm. so at some point that reinvention the concept car needs to make its way to the assembly line where everybody knows exactly what they're supposed to do, when they're supposed to do it, how they're supposed to do it. And it's repeatable behavior over and over and over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. So it's that I totally know that that is where money is made. And that is the goal of business. Mm -hmm. I just not that excited by repeatable behavior. And, and even though I know how important it is, but Mm -hmm. so I continually look at the kind of the concept car of like, what's the, what's another way at it and mm-hmm. you know we're lucky that i have a business partner who is the a complete opposite of yeah. like no we're gonna make sure that you don't bankrupt the agency yeah. um, by through constant reinvention and on just based on some whim of something you want to try out today mm-hmm. but i think it's the, the excitement of constant exploration and what if what if what if what if mm-hmm. um that, that i find really exciting yeah, it seems like you do. In the world of um, cognitive psychology, we talk in learning science, we always say that 70% of what you teach people, they have to already know it. And then 30, then you can teach them the 30% that's new. Right. So maybe your business partner is the 70%. He's like going to take it and turn it into something people can like at least feel like they already know and feel comfortable buying. And then you're- 100%. 30%. Yeah, yeah nice. she's uh, Yeah, Robin yeah. Whalen is my partner and she's okay. amazing. She um, is- um, She's just on the side of that wall right now, actually. Hey, um, <laughs> um, and yeah, she that is that is uh, very much her. Hmm. Fascinating. So, what is your favorite part of this work? Of your part of it, what brings you the most uh, joy? 
Um, I really like, there's a bunch of different stuff, you know, sometimes, well, I guess it's the nailed it, right? Like, like there's a problem yeah. here and whether that is, cause sometimes that is, well, how do I write this line? It's like, what's the, mm. what is the perfect line yeah. for that? It's a, so it's a very craft oriented kind of thing. Like, what's the, what's the best way to say that? Mm -hmm. And then you write a headline, you're like, that's it like that's yeah. the best way to to say that that's it yeah um but that's also around solving a problem and it's um you know how do we build this approach or this model so that it solves that problem like ah boom that's it yeah um and um so it because that's the part of exploration it's and stand up such a great metaphor for that because mm -hmm. you go to the stage thinking this is really funny <laughs> And then you say it, mm -hmm. and the risk is that it's not. Uh huh. And what's so great about stand up is it's it's immediate results. You get you know exactly in the moment whether you're right or wrong. Mm -hmm. And um. And that's a really humbling and fascinating experience when you're wrong. Yeah, well, it reminds me of of like how we talk about great work. One of the things we talk about with great work is that it requires such a uh, comfort with discomfort, like the excruciating mm -hmm. experience of being wrong, of being up the wrong Creek of like saying it the wrong way of like assuming it worked and then it doesn't, you know, you've launched something and no one bought it. Like th that, the ability to sit with that without losing your shit is yeah. like the number one predictor of your ability to yeah. work. Stand up oh, sounds uh like it's boot camp for that being able to be because you have to still be funny like if you say the wrong thing in the first minute like it's not like you leave the stage right presumably you right. can't come back yeah this just happened to me on friday okay i was talking to about 600 speaking to 600 real estate agents mm. and i had done something over a couple of different speeches that worked really well with real estate agents and mortgage brokers and stuff where I talk about my second son, Ben, being bored two days into the pandemic. And, you know, and there's joke, 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 joke. Ha ha, quiet down. And then I said he was born at 945. And at 11 a.m., I made two calls. The first call was to my banker. The second call was my financial advisor. I did not call my real estate agent. I didn't call them because they're not in the circle of financial trust, even though it's the largest transaction I'll ever make. I didn't call them. And why? Because real estate agents pop their head up when it's time for the transaction. And then there's, they're really not in the broader, longer circle of trust. So I, but I had in the past, a few speeches for similar audiences, I had done the baby thing in the beginning, joke, 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 and then weaved into the content, built up trust. Oh, mm. you have added value, blah, blah, blah. And then I delivered that. And you know what? I didn't call you. I didn't call you because you weren't in the circle of trust. And that always worked really well. And it silenced the room and made them go like, oh shit, he's right. Mm. Well, Friday, I did it at the very beginning of the speech. Oh, they, they were the first things. They weren't ready for it. I uh -huh. hadn't built up the trust. And I was just a jerk then because I hear I was like kind of slapping them with a like, you're not good enough, mm -hmm. two minutes into the speech. Mm. And so I felt a little bit of my body leave the stage in that moment. I was like, ah, you know, you're like, ah, oh, man, yeah. I, I, why did you I get know better? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That should, it's not the time to say that line. Mm. And, but you know, I'm, like, I'm really sorry. You know, so I, yeah. you know, obviously tried to make it a little more animated and be a little more complimentary for the rest of the speech. 
Um, and it still went really well, but not, it wasn't my level of where I would have wanted it to go. Right. And you had to know that the entire rest of the speech. The entire speech. <laughs> yes. Well, so you are very likely to do great work <laughs> because you can <laughs> you can continue to move forward even when you're just like disappointed in yourself, disappointed in the situation, not sure whether you're really going to get it back. That's great. Yeah, I have done a hard turn sometimes and I've been like, you know what? Yeah. I'm taking a time out here. Let's ju I just said something mm -hmm. that I don't think I've ever really been like, really across the line in terms of offending anybody, but sure. It was just like, yeah, you know, if I would have, I wouldn't have said that. So I think sometimes you come completely clean in the moment. Yeah. That wasn't one where I felt comfortable mm -hmm. doing it. Yeah, right. Because then it would have been like, why are you being extra weird now? Right. Because it maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Enough. Exactly. 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 Now exactly. he's going to, now he's, now he's apologizing. I don't understand. Yeah. 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 <laughs> oh, man. That's a lot. Well, I feel like one of the things I learned from you is sort of the flip side of that, too, which I think is really awesome. At least I've thought about it a million times is like when you're up there and you hit, pay dirt and you're like gold and i'm going to mm -hmm. use this and use this and use this and use this until it like i don't know tarnishes and it's not good anymore so like yep. i think that the the story i remember you telling is something about getting a shampoo at a hotel and mm -hmm. then like using that a million times i think that's so interesting because i feel like one of the things that happens a lot with people is they feel like they have to be completely off the cuff in order to be authentic as opposed to what I feel like I learned from you, which is that if you hit something that is authentically you and works for the person in front of you, then you should continue to use it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's going from concept car to assembly line. Like ah, if yeah. you in the moment on stage, you come up with something, you're like, that's an amazing way to do that. Mm -hmm. And it was Michael Port who really, I mean, I knew it from my standup brain, which was bit, right? You work mm -hmm. the bit. Yeah. So you come up with an insight on stage and you're like, oh, that's a good bit. And then you keep working the bit, working the bit, working the bit. Mm -hmm. And the line I may have used with you guys at HPS was, was, you know, you pan for silver, but you work for gold. Ah, yes. That mm -hmm. you, you know, you find a great thing, but then it really, it only becomes gold when you work it, work it, work it, work it, work it, work it, work it. Mm -hmm. And so I knew that from stand-up land, but where I had a problem with it was, and where I sought the counsel of Michael and Amy Port was, um, I I screwed up on stage mm. in that story specifically that story, and I said at one point um, there was a knock on the door. There was a knock on the door, and there was a woman there, mm -hmm. and then caught myself and said, "I like like from the hotel, like she worked at the hotel," <laughs> and that got a big laugh <laughs> from the audience. Yep, and but it was a genuine just a fumble, mm -hmm. and then I my stand up brain said. You, you got to force yourself to make that error again. Uh, and yeah. then you, you, you end up with a laugh. Mm -hmm. And, and so I went to Michael and I was like, you know, like, is that really authentic? If I do that and, mm -hmm. do I, you know, or if I just like saying a line in the right way. And he said, how dare you? You're going into somewhere and they're paying your full fee. Mm -hmm. And you're not going to give them the, but like, you're not going to take a line and say it in the best possible way. Cause mm -hmm. you know, that's the best. And you're going to do a, a cheaper version of that. Cause you think it's more authentic. How dare mm -hmm. you? If there's a great way to deliver a bit, deliver the bit. That's what they're paying you for. Interesting. And, you know, and you know that that bit 
like you making yourself to force that error makes that little thing a little bit funnier, but it also makes them pay attention more and learn the lesson better. Yeah. So how dare you not give them your all so that they can take the most from your lesson and your, your keynote as they possibly can. You're being paid to do that. Fascinating. Yeah. I, that was a big, that was a big um, learning moment for me. Yeah. So the only time I won't do it, and it just, just happened last week. Mm-hmm. I was in Huntington beach and I was, doing two sessions back to back and uh, for two different audiences, but there were a couple of people who stayed for uh, both. Yeah. Right. And I'm like, Oh, I can't do it then. Cause then it's like a magician kind of revealing the yeah. truth. <laughs> yeah. So I didn't do it in the second one. And one of the people there was a, was a someone from an American bureau. And he said, I noticed you didn't do the thing. Why didn't you do that? Yeah. And yeah. Oh, so interesting. Well, you know, earlier you said the difference between I forget what what you were comparing it to, but you said great art is pure expression. Mm-hmm. And I feel like in the time, in the moment, I never argue with a guest ever. Like if they say something, I'm not, unless I'm really, we really got it. But it struck me. I was like, is art pure expression? I don't know. I'm going to think about it later. And then yep. as you were saying this, I think that art is also best. Great art. Good art can be pure expression, but great mm-hmm. art is co- expression and connection. Because great art is meant to be received. If you're just doing art for yourself, that's one thing. But if you want to be a great artist who puts writes a play or puts a piece of like, you know, puts an expression of emotion on a on a canvas or stands up on a stage and is is hoping to evoke an emotion, like that can't be done in isolation. That can't be pure expression. It has to also be connection. In some ways, I think where my opinion was formed yeah. in that and it wasn't instead I wasn't trying to be like a pure stand-up of like this is all about me and I don't care about anybody else it was when I wrote my first book um and which is what I sought out to do though it was called everything one's a comedian or everyone's an artist or at least they should be yeah which is this idea that we all should be artists and I interviewed I went to something called a, a um an art battle mm-hmm. and um where it's live competitive painting, you know, and these, all these artists, they get given a topic and they got 20 minutes to paint something and there's a DJ and it's like, you're also like, I'm not cool enough to be here. This is a whole other, <laughs> like I'm way too old to be. Here. I, I really need a beret right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so I interviewed all the artists competing oh. as I was writing my first book. And mm-hmm. I said, and I, but I interviewed them uh, alone mm-hmm. and just one at a time. And each one talked about support for the other people. And mm-hmm. like, well, this person does this really, because I asked them about the other artists. And like, what mm-hmm. I really love is that they do this thing. And I said to them, you you spoke so highly of everybody. Yeah. But they're your competition. Are they not yeah. your competition? Like if they, if someone wants to buy a painting and I'm looking at your painting versus their painting, they're your competition. And no word of lie, every single one of them said, no. Yeah. I don't have competition. There's yeah. no competition. Nobody does this like I do this. Mm-hmm. And if the second I go, well, someone wants to buy a red painting. I only paint in blue, so I'm going to paint in red. Yeah. Well, now I've completely lost my soul. It's a lowest, it's a commodity. If mm-hmm. I'm just trying to paint like that person paint to connect with an audience. And um, there's, there's, it's not connection at all because it's not kind of a genuine expression. Hmm. So I think it's a, I think it's a little bit of both in that. Yeah, yeah it is. Yeah. You know, I like it. Well, and I think that the idea of competition and like a lack of competition, uh, I used to work with a lot of therapists. I still do. Um, And we talk about how your competition is not another therapist. It's someone's uh, 
desire to do that. Or, oh, yeah, yeah, right. Just yeah. This, this, their desire not to have to be uncomfortable, their desire not to change, their desire not to, not to like rock the boat or whatever. Like you're really asking people to do something fairly courageous. And of course, art is like that too, right? I, yeah. You really are. It is a courageous act for sure. Yep. Yeah. Wow. So interesting. Well, I could talk to you all day, but I bet you have things to do. <laughs> <laughs> so we'd love to just hear, obviously, um, everybody needs to go out and get Think Do Say. And maybe even everyone should Thank be an you. artist. Yes. I haven't read that one, but I will get it immediately. Uh, but how else can people get to know you? Well, they can go to rontite.com. They can go to churchstate.com. Mm -hmm. um, but those are kind of more promotional, archival kind of places. Um, I just, I think, find I add most value on LinkedIn. where I'm just <laughs> constantly reading and sharing. And as a great example of that, given the work that you do about, what did you call them? The border? Border dwellers. Habitat? Border dwellers. Mm -hmm. um, I just shared something today, you know, mm. where Dave Grohl is talking to Pharrell Williams. Oh, love it. And 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 Pharrell Williams said, like, but you're such a great drummer. And Dave Grohl goes, stop saying that. I'm not a great drummer. Do you mm -hmm. know what I did? And he goes, if you go back and you listen to Nevermind, the first Nirvana album, mm -hmm. who, where did I get that drums, those drums from? Mm. Those, the, and where I got them from? Disco. Yeah. And he goes, listen to Cameo. Listen to what, brapa, brapa, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and he's like, that's all I did was I stole from disco oh, as a drummer. A good idea. Yes. And then yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> for Nirvana. And I was like, and Pharrell Williams was like, what are you talking about? Like, <laughs> you're, you're right. Yeah. It's all Nirvana is all disco drums. Wow. That's so interesting. Well, I'm going to go check it out right now. And today, yeah. just for those of you, whenever this comes out, it's October 24th. So you can yeah, yeah. go find his post from October 24th if you too are curious about this. Well, I just want to encourage anybody who's thinking about it. This book, Think Do Say, every time I turn to a new chapter, there's something I'm like, Haha, well, that's interesting and curious okay. and great. It's a great book. And he's a great writer. Very funny. Good stories. So I definitely want to encourage you to read that. And I want to thank you, Ron Tite, so much for your time. I know how busy you are and how in demand you are. And I'm really, really grateful. Well, th thanks for the kind words, Amanda. I really appreciate it. And thanks for having me. Thanks for listening out there in listening land. Listening land. Thank you. <laughs> hey, if you're enjoying this podcast, you've got to check out the Great Work Community. The Great Work Community is where change-making entrepreneurs make drama-free progress together. Come on over for a co-working, accountability, coaching, and just-in-time courses. Check out the Great Work Community. The link is in the show notes. Thanks for listening today to Unleashing Your Great Work. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and leave a five-star review. And make sure you check out my book, Great Work, Do What Matters Most, without sacrificing everything else. It's available everywhere you get books. See you next time on Unleashing Your Great Work.